Our new series sits right in the lap of the vision for who we are as the people of God. Uh, to allow us to figure out through the themes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and we'll get why, the why of that in a moment, uh, and who we are called to be as a part of builders of the kingdom of God. And we're coming to that, but you all know that I never preach in a vacuum and that I always come bearing the experiences of the world that surrounds us, and this has been such a week. Uh, with the images that come out of Maui, and particularly Lahaina, I know that many of you have stood on those places in Front Street that we now see that have been blessed by the beauty of creation there that have seen God from those beaches and to know the impact and the loss of life. We're up to about 90 human deaths there, but the loss of community, of homes, of culture, such a powerful impact within us. The more we are impacted by something, the more we're tempted to share our common story and the stories that touch us. I've not yet been to Hawaii but I've always been blessed by my mentor pastors. And I've had a great relationship with the pastors that have always preceded me in the congregations that I've served. You've seen that with Reverend Nicole here, but uh, the pastor that served before me in Simi Valley was approaching his retirement, Reverend Dr. Lou Fry. And he was great. And him and his wife, Mary, uh, continued to participate in the life of our church until they moved into a retirement setting. They were just lovely, fantastic People, and they made Camille and I feel so welcome in Simi. The Lahaina UMC Church that burnt down was Reverend Lou's first appointment. Lived in their parsonage. Both of their children were born in that community and in that church almost 60 years ago. And so no matter how we come to the experience and the story of loss in the world that surrounds us, we all carry a piece to the throne. And the world is a bit like the Phoenix experience. Fire loss, death, life, newness, again the cycle that we see. And I just want to name two more things, and that's we pray for uh, the, the Thompson family uh, as uh, Tim's son Andrew and his lovely bride Vanessa were married in this space yesterday in their new life together. And then what a gift to have Christine back in the midst of her journey. Our prayers with you. I'll say this on her behalf because I've been in this place before. She looks fantastic and she sounds great, but she is still on a healing journey. So be gentle with your physical greetings for her as she continues to greet. She might give you the kind of side hug or whatever the case might be as she continues to recover. But you had a song in your heart and a story to share with us, and we're grateful for it. Join me in a moment of prayer as we center ourselves. Holy and gracious God, in whom we live and move and have our being, we give you thanks for this day, for these people, and for this time. We ask that your spirit move among us that we might know truly that in this time, in this place, that you've shown up, that you work in us, that you help us to see our own value and the value of our neighbors, and that you help us to know who we are and whose we are in your grace and mercy. So shower us with your love. Shower us with your attentiveness. Help us to see you today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So part of the motivation for our It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood series was to offer, as we come back into fall, a back-to-basics teaching about the fundamentals of our faith, to know something to who we are and who we are called and equipped to be, and you will see over the next weeks uh, how Fred Rogers is going to serve as a lens to the work of the gospel and who we are equipped to be in the church. But this week, for so many, was back to school. 
We blessed backpacks last week. We dropped kids off at school. I know many of you posted really cute pictures of your kids saying, first day of fifth grade, ready to rock and roll. I feel sometimes that I get jaded. I should be able, you know, Glenn, you, we need signs, man. First day of like 97th grade or whatever number of years of school we've been in, right? That kind of thing. It is so fun to celebrate with your families and your kids. I know me some back to school. My parents moved quite a bit, and I transitioned from school to school as I was growing up. And by the time I settled into my high school in Las Vegas, from which I graduated, that was the seventh new school for me. I was often the back-to-school kid, wondering if I would find friends, wondering what people would think of me or what I would think of them. All of the same nervous energy that your children and grandchildren have experienced in this last week or in the weeks to come. And so this morning, as we settle around a theme of sacred worth and identity and knowing who we are, it's rooted in that pattern. Longing to know who we are and that someone cares about us in the midst of newness, in the midst of change. Is there someone who likes and loves us just the way we are? Well, I come from a generation of children shaped and taught by the ministry of Fred Rogers. Now, I said that on purpose, we'll come to that in a moment, but it was Mr. Rogers' neighborhood that invited my wonder, my curiosity, and it helped shape my values as I was growing up. A whole generation of kids and grandkids taught not just their values and how they ought to be kind to one another, but indeed their value and their worth by one person who cared deeply for them. I said it was his ministry, and there's a reason for that. He was ordained as a Presbyterian minister. It was his intent while in seminary to go and be a pulpit preacher just like me, to spend his time talking to folks about the work of God in their lives. Fred Rogers was a musician by training at a BFA in music composition. He came from a musical family. He wrote the theme that you heard Stephen play and many of the songs that we heard in his show. But there came a time when he was in seminary that he went home to his parents' house to visit uh, and to spend time there uh, in the 1950s. And they had this thing called a television, and he sat down to watch the programming. And I don't know if it was Punch or Judy or some other clowny kids show in the area where his parents lived, but what he saw appalled him. It was people throwing pies, beating each other over the head with fake bats to just absolute belly-wrenching laughter. And he thought, all we're telling people is that it is funny to be mean. There's got to be something else to do in this medium and with this work in television. He thought it was a waste of technology if all it was was laughing at, at, uh, at profane humor. So he put his seminary plans on hold. No longer was he going to serve a local church, but he began working in television, first at NBC, just as a gopher, as a runner, getting coffee, doing exactly what they might need. He left for Canada and worked on a regular show there in 1953 called The Children's Hour. That's where the puppet Daniel the Striped Tiger came to life. And while working in that setting, he finished his seminary education part-time. He, was, he graduated and he was ordained to the ministry of television particularly for children and families. He was going to use mass media as a means to speak the gospel truth. 1963, he moved to Canada. He started his own show. It was called Mr. Rogers. Many of the themes of Mr. Rogers' neighborhoods that were present there. It was in 1968 
1968, that Fred Rogers first appeared on PBS. Some of you are old enough, not all of you, but some of you are old enough, to remember the 1960s, to know of the assassination of President Kennedy in 63, the moon landing in 69, the assassination of Martin Luther King, all of the tumult of that time, all of the anxiety and reservations about whether or not we would get through this thing called life together, and in 1968, you heard a little piano refrain. It was the same one used then and 33 and a half years later at his last episode. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. He comes at a time of much chaos, much tumult, and he offers a hope and possibility that there might be something that we can say to each other about how we live, how we move, how we treat each other, how we might transform this world of ours. I share all of that context to say he found his mission field in a backwards way. He said, God's not calling me to be a local church pastor, to call a church together and to tell them how bad the world is and expect them to go and do the work to change it. He found a way through his creative energies to speak truth to millions of us. There's a power to that, and it's a reminder that your mission field may not be what you think it is. It may be your family, it may be your neighborhood, it may be your circle of influence, it may be where you work or those you spend regular time with. Those are the fields that God is sowing for you to be able to share a same message of sacred worth and identity because mr rogers at his core every week spoke to the value of each person what each one of us is worth and whether it was jeff airlander and his his mobilized assistant device his, his powered wheelchair and showing innate curiosity about how it worked about longing to sing i like you just the way you are with that young boy or if it was something transformative, like in the midst of civil rights, putting his feet in the pool with Officer Clemens with a simple question. They didn't start with, today's episode is, racism is bad. Mr. Rogers asked Officer Clemens, on hot days, I like to put my feet in a cool pool. Do you like to do that? Yes, Mr. Rogers, I do. Would you come and join me in the pool? This episode was filmed at a time of segregation and desegregation. When blacks in parts of our countries were not allowed to swim in white pools. And here was our champion for justice and truth and hope and the value of each saying, I like you just the way you are. I love you. I like a little cool pool on my hot feet. How about you? He sees the value of each and speaks into the, the possibility that we could be liked where we are. One of his most famous quotes is this, you have made this day a special day by just being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. Now, there has been social criticism about the idea that with Fred Rogers starts this participation ribbon model of how we rear our children. Everybody is okay. Everybody is loved. Everybody gets to participate. You are a champion in your own way. And that is such a gross oversimplification of the gospel and your worth and what Fred saw in each. 
I like you just the way you are. Just the way you are. And so with that spirit, we lean into the Word of God today. Our reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It's short. It fits on one slide. But in the 10th chapter of Matthew, it tells us an image about our sacred worth to God. And it reads in this way. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the hairs on your head are counted and numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know there are math teachers in the room. I know there are mathematicians. I don't want you to do the math and say, how many is many sparrows? Because if you get two sparrows for a penny, how many sparrows do I have to put together to describe how much I'm worth? This is sacred math, not sparrow math. Set that aside. The analogy of the counting of hairs on the head and knowing who deeply you are. My brother Pete, we can count the hairs. Now that said, God knows your complexity and your story. Whether you look like Peter, you look like Tevia, God knows you and knows who you are. I know me some hair right now. I am so done with it. Today is our closing, by the way. Thanks be to God. I'll talk about Tevia in a second. God knows your sacred worth, your sacred value. Jesus uses two simple analogies. He probably just saw a sparrow flying by. And said, God knows the story of that sparrow. If it were to fall to the ground today, God would know and God would care. It's passing matters to God. How much more do you matter to God? A God who knows every last bit of you and how you are stitched together. A God who knows your holiness and your brokenness, your good times, your bad times, your joy and your sorrow. That God knows you and loves you more than that sparrow. Preaching doesn't happen in a vacuum. I have to imagine the impact of a week like this on the very heart of God. It weighs heavy on me to know the wildlife and the people, the terror and the fear of what happened in Maui. To know that there were people when cell phones went out didn't receive word that the fire was coming and they opened their doors to see it there and had no choice but to run from their home and to run into the ocean that they had always known and lived by. To know that the people who are impacted are the wealthy, are the resort communities, but it's also people who live in simple homes who serve us in those places who are equally displaced, anxious, and worried. If God knows when sparrows fall, God grieves for Hawaii right now. If you're looking for an immediate way to help, umc.org slash give is a way to give to UMCOR to help with financial resources and more will be clear because they are a part of our annual conference about ways in which we can help in a practical way now God knows your sacred worth God grieves with you I mentioned that today's my closing in Fiddler I'd encourage you to come but we're sold out today my wife has one ticket from our family the first one to her if you're flying solo and you want to come join our family today to see our closing been a powerful thing to be Tavia in our community here in Santa Clarita to share his story and to be a part of working with so many great young people 
before I cut the hair away and make some changes in my own life, one of the things that strikes me is his experience of the world. One of the more powerful moments is at the end of that show. We sing a song called Anatevka, and it's a reflection on, and if you haven't seen the show that's now 60 years old, spoiler alert, the fact that the Jews are being displaced from their homes in Anatevka, chased out by Roman order. That's a true story. It happened in the time of Alexander III. He blamed the Jews for the assassination of his father, Alexander II, although they had been displaced in this community for a little over two generations, a little over two generations of life. Started in Catherine Great, Nicholas I. They all were clearly shifting the Jewish population into a further place of ghettoization. Anatevka takes place in what is now modern Belarus or Kiev, where there is still violence in the breaking of the heart to this day. But it is there that they are displaced and left in absolute poverty in a place called the Pale of Settlement. And it is orders for Alexander III that will displace this community from the imagined Anatevka that reflects a real place and sends them on their way. But the power of the song that we end our show with is that they all look around and say, this is our home, it's all we know, it's all we've ever known. I know each face. It's where Sabbath is sweet. And I now have to leave. Am I going to be a stranger in a strange land? Will there be people there who welcome me, who know my sacred word? And the power for me, and how it gets performed. I get to look at my other actors on stage, but if you've seen it, I... I try and scan almost the whole room to draw the 900 people or so who are there into you're part of our Anatevka. We're all going from this place together. That's a story about value, about whether or not a God that Tevia talks through through the whole show still hears, listens, or cares. Can we find a way to know our value? As surely as God cares about sparrows and hairs on head, God cares deeply for creation. God loves this world of ours and the power of the story in creation from Genesis about knowing who we are. Either in Genesis 2 with the creation of Adam or in Genesis 1 with the creation of the universe. This is a, a, obviously a picture from Sistine Chapel. I, I saw it online and I thought, that is very creatively cro uh, cropped for use in church. If you know, you know. Um, the creation story in Adam is a powerful and intimate understanding. It is a hares and sparrows kind of story. God builds with clay. God breathes life. And Adam is formed. But what has happened just before that in the first chapter of Genesis is a God who creates order in the universe. He makes the heavens and a light in the heavens. He makes day and night. He makes skies and water and land therein. And in the last three days, he begins to populate that space. First, the heavens with the stars, the seas with the fish, the birds in the air. And then upon land, God makes every kind of animal, and the last creature formed is humanity. Men and women created in God's image. And it is then and only then that God looks around and says, this is very it is a sacred blessing to be a part of God's creation. 
We are all creatures of a common creator. We are all set in our intended place. And it is there that we have value. It starts there. It ends there. We are loved because we bear the image of God. The Latin phrase for that is imago dei. We bear imago dei in our lives, in our hearts, in our spirits, in our stories. The last time I really dove into that idea, I looked a little bit like this. In 2011, I spoke at a national youth conference up in Sacramento. About 1,400 Methodist kids gathered to celebrate God and to praise together. And I wanted to work with the idea of the image of God. And so for the whole year leading up to it, I shaved myself. I looked a little bit like Pete, and then I looked like this, and even more unkept than Tevia is. And I lived role-playing as a homeless person outside the same convention center they were in for two days before I even got introduced to speak. I got thrown out of the event before I was supposed to speak, coming in, smelling, carrying my backpack, mumbling to myself. I got tossed out. And then the announcer said, our keynote speaker this afternoon is the pastor from the Methodist Church in Simi Valley. Please welcome Reverend Andy Maddock. And out I walked looking like nothing they would expect. And the heart of the poem that I created for them and the heart of the sermon that we laid that day was, I am worthy of God's love even if I look like this. But more than that, you are worthy of God's love even if you look like that. Every time you look in the mirror and see imperfections that cannot be covered by makeup, that cannot be combed out, all the parts and the pieces that you hide because you are ashamed or embarrassed that you don't like about yourself, no matter what you carry out into the world, you bear imago dei, the image of God. And therefore God loves you. Knows your hairs. Knows how many sparrows you are truly worth. And if we can do the hard work of looking at ourselves and knowing our value, it provides us the opportunity, as Mr. Rogers did, to begin to see the unknown other the same way. Because while he occasionally had children and families in his studios, the work of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was for him to look into a camera and to know that as he sees his own reflection in the glass, He's in fact talking to hundreds of us, thousands of us, millions of us, and he loves us even though he doesn't know us directly. He can say with authenticity, I like you just the way you are, and we can hear that and believe. I love the decorations in our new space. My bike has never looked better. I may have to keep the flowers in that regard, but I want to call your attention to the backdrop. You might have to come up after worship and get a closer look at it to see the detail. It's the, the landscape, the pastoral view that we get coming over the hills into our valley here of the Santa Clarita Valley. And then there's playgrounds from Newhall and Magic Mountain rides and small groups from our church and youth and our praise band and our presence out at Relay for Life and young children holding one another. From afar, it looks like a jumbled mess. But when you are invited into it, it's an opportunity for us to see ourselves and perhaps some of the lens of how we might see our community and the things that we value there. When we talk about it being a beautiful day in our neighborhood, it's because overlaid over everything we ever see is how God sees us at work in the community and who we are called and equipped to be. And that's what Mitchell Rogers did every week. Changed his shoes. 
changed into a sweater that his mom had knit for him. In his real world, talked to real issues, fed fish, made meals, interviewed people. But there always came a moment in every show where we took the train. I'll come back to that. Into the land of imagination. Now that's how I introduced it at the first service. My wife is the Mr. Rogers savant in our family. She has a Mr. Rogers bobblehead. She could talk for hours on end about the man. I take everything that I've learned from her to share with you on my first sermon here. I got down after the first service, after my sermon. There was no congratulations, no pat on the back, no word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to from her. No, on her notes was written, it's a trolley, not a train. We take the trolley into the land of imagination. And there we believe that puppets of kings can be transformed by the meekness of tiger puppets. That we can see stories of cranky neighbors and be transformed by them. But the trolley always comes back, and in the same way, we move into the experience of how our valley surrounds us this beautiful day. We might go there, but we always come back, and Mr. Rogers ended with the opportunity for us to be reminded of who we are and to go and be and do better, to be kind, to show love. And so, too, that's our work, church, to make space to grow into the kingdom of God, to realize that we come here, we are reminded of our work as a part of the body of Christ, that we bear the very image of God, but we are equipped to go and to be the church out in the world that surrounds us. In powerful ways, yes. In serving the hungry, the broken, the confused, absolutely. But in the mundane in the simple. To find the spiritual equivalent in your life for the people you know to say, I like my feet in a cool pool on a hot day. How about you? Come and be. Go and do. Let's pray, church.